If you would like to earn CPE credit for listening to the show, visit earmarkcpe.com backslash FPA. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. If you would like to earn continuing education credit for your FP&A certification from the Association of Finance Professionals for listening to the show, go to the show notes for details on how to earn the credit. Finally, if you enjoy listening to FP&A today, please go to your podcast platform of choice, click the subscribe button, and leave a rating and review of the show. And now, on to the show. From Data Rails, this is FPNA Today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FPNA Today. I am your host, Paul Barnhurst, aka the FPNA Guy, and you are listening to FPNA Today. FPNA Today is brought to you by Data Rails, financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users. Every week, we welcome a leader from the world of financial planning and analysis and discuss some of the biggest stories and challenges in the world of FP&A. We'll provide you with actionable advice about financial planning and analysis. This is going to be your go-to resource for everything FP&A. I'm thrilled to welcome today's guest on the show, Wasia Kamon. Wasia, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. Happy to be here. Yeah, super excited to have you. So let me give a little bit of... Uh, Let's see his background, and then I'll give her an opportunity to share a little bit more about herself. She, she comes to us from the Atlanta, Georgia area. She recently started a new job working as vice president and controller at a low-income investment fund. She has her bachelor's degree in accounting and then went on to earn her MBA. She's very active in the accounting and finance community, serving as a member of IMA and AICPA. And then also in her spare time, she's a board member for a nonprofit called HOPE. So, Wasia, welcome to the show. Could you start by just maybe telling us a little bit about your background and how you ended up where you're at today? Sure. Thanks, Paul. Super excited to be here. And as I started is first, I didn't want to be an accountant. I wanted to be a statistician. And after taking my first course in college, I was like, okay, statistics is not for me. I still like numbers and went into accounting. I interned in tax, then audit, and then I've been in corporate finance and accounting since then. So that's what my background is. Yeah, that's where I am today. So funny story, when I was a kid, I thought I'd want to go into statistics. I really didn't understand what statistics was, but I loved the statistician for sports, like reading box scores. And so that's kind of what I equated to statistics as a kid. I remember my taking my first statistics class in college. It's like, yeah, there's no way I'm majoring in statistics. I mean, I enjoy some of the statistics stuff, but I did you know, a finance degree. So I, I can relate to that. Oh, this sounds cool. Yeah, maybe not so much. <laughs> no, mm -mm. all the cars. No, mm -mm. So I, I can get that one. So you completed an internship in both tax and audit. Yes. Then can you talk a little bit about how that experience was interning in those areas? Yes. So the tax internship was during my last year of college. So I did it for a full year. So I was able to see, okay, this is how busy season is when you're in tax. Is also our low season is, quote unquote, and definitely learned that I tax wasn't going to be for me because, I mean, listening to people explaining how boring CPEs and just the legislation part, I was like, okay, I cannot do this. But I did learn great things for personal taxes for myself, you know, 
being on a W2, having a business, deductions and all that stuff. So it was good personally on that level for personal finance. But on the tax side, I was like, I'm not going to be a tax accountant. Then it was PwC with audit. And I thought, okay, big four, I was all excited. I didn't realize that people don't like auditors. So I'm an extrovert. I go out, I'm like, hi, I'm here for selections. And I like, what do you want? So uh didn't go well. I knew I didn't want to be an auditor. So that's why I moved then into just corporate finance and accounting. So, and that's why I thrive, you know, from accounting, I did FBNA, I'm doing both. So it's been great, but these internships definitely helped me learn what I did not want to do. Still good experiences, but it helped. Yeah, that's definitely a great opportunity in internship, right? It's an opportunity not only to test the company and see if that's a company you want to work for and then to test you to see if you're the type of employee they want. There's also that opportunity to go, okay, is this the type of work I want to be doing, especially a year-long internship? And I can understand on the audit side, you know, I was an extrovert. And you, like you said, everybody been like, oh, it's the auditor. I got to deal with this person. <laughs> what do you want? And how quickly can I get rid of you? Why, still, why are you still here? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I could see that and making that switch toward you know, counting and growing from there. So speaking of that, I know, you know, after your internships in school, you started your career working for Interlot. Like you spent about nine years there and you worked your way up from accountant to a corporate controller. So could maybe talk a little bit about that experience and what it was like going from individual contributor to more of a management role and how you managed to kind of thrive and develop over those years. Oh, wow. That was definitely um, the best part of my career, I would say. Intralot was a lottery gaming provider. So it was a technology firm because we're keeping all the software behind, like the Powerball games and things like that. Oh, so I should ask you for the numbers. <laughs> I couldn't play the lottery for nine years because of that. <laughs> you didn't miss much. Odds are you would have just wasted money. I knew how it worked. That's the thing. So, because <laughs> we do all the probability behind the number of winners. So I knew that part. The point zero zero, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so it was uh, manufacturing pro as well, because we're making some of the vending machines you may see at the grocery store. So, and then service providers. So I got to, um, when I got there, I was billing for the government. I was learning how to do revenue recognition at the time. So it really allowed me to, touch every single part of a PL of a balance sheet, of a cash flow statement. And also the company was growing very fast, like technology company. Like I joined, it was 200. By the time I left, we're like over 500. So building a lot of the processes and procedures. And really um, when people ask me, how did you say? I was like, because I wanted to stay. Because if I feel like people quit easily today, and so you're not, able to allow yourself to grow because part of growth is yes you're going to have a difficult boss maybe they will leave maybe someone else will be able to take you under their wings maybe you'll be able to shift to another department and learn some other things be involved in other areas as well but as long as you're proactive in your growth it was really touch you know keeping touch with other players in the company able to grow on that level. So a lot of people took interest of me because I was still there <laughs> and it helped. I learned a lot from other CPAs. So the VP of marketing at the time was a former CPA. The VP of business development was a former CPA. So, and I saw them in other roles. So that's when I learned that accounting didn't have to stay just in the accounting department. 
but they went from being accountants, CPAs, into marketing, into business strategy. And so that was a great experience from that standpoint. Yeah, you know, something I've always said, and you know, I'm not a CPA. I didn't start an accounting background. I started in contracts and then did finance. But one of the things I would say is if you get the opportunity to do a rotation outside finance, there's a lot of benefit that comes from learning the business and being in the business. I started in the business and switched to FP&A and it was extremely valuable for me. So I'm a big believer that there's a lot of benefit in seeing both sides of it. You're a better professional. Like, you know, if I went into FP&A again tomorrow, a corporate job, I know I'd be better for the experience of the last year, seeing the sales, doing the marketing, doing the, you know, operations and scaling my own business. So I think that's great that you were able to, see that early on because I don't think a lot of people always realize that. They're like, okay, if I go into accounting, I'm going to retire in accounting. Yes, it was great. Good. I appreciate that. You know, the other thing I, I really like that you said is challenge yourself and not quit. You know, that's something we're trying to teach my daughter is, okay, you can't just come in out here laughing because you probably can relate a little bit. You know, yes, you've tried for five seconds. You don't need to come ask us to answer it yet. You need to challenge yourself for a few minutes. Keep trying. No, I'm not going to go find the remote until you actually look for it, <laughs> you know, or whatever it might be. And I think we, you know, that's something we need as a society. It's not to say you stay in a bad environment or that people don't quit, but I think there's a challenge if you run at the first sign of a problem every time. Yes, agreed. I think it's a lot of resilience. And I, I think society is moving more toward I want it now. I want it quick. If I don't like it, okay, I'm leaving now. But we don't take the time to, I love gardening, to actually sow your seed and go through the whole process to see the project that you have flourish and see that, yes, I implemented this process in June. It took two years, but now here are the results. But if you just, you know, you're not there after three months, how are you able to demonstrate this kind of results? I'm aligned with you on that. I think there's a lot that comes from challenging yourself. And there's different ways you can do that, both inside and outside work. But it's really important that you push through with projects so that I'm glad you did that. Sounds like it was a great learning experience. And what, speaking of learning experiences, the one I want to ask you about is when you're at Interlot, you, know, you help build the FP&A function from the ground up. Obviously, a small company, as they scaled, they needed that. Talk a little bit about that experience. What was it like going from being the accounting person, all of a sudden doing the FP&A, and how did you go about that process? Um, so I had a CFO that was very helpful in the process. So she already knew, you know, what an FP&A function was, and I did not. So she had to explain to me, okay, when you give the numbers, what do we do with them next? And so trying to better understand, okay, how do we move from, okay, we have X amount of dollars that came through expenses or from revenues, how do we present it for decision-making? And so at budget, I will just put, okay, these are the spreadsheets for the budget. So I took basically what was there the prior year and I tried to reproduce. And then she was like, okay, how is it helpful? I'm like, I don't know. So it was a process <laughs> and a mindset. It's really a change in mindset more than anything else, going from accounting to FP&A. Because I understand the numbers. I know exactly which vendors, like what the lines are made up. But how do we bridge that to business strategy and looking forward to what are we going to see? So at first, I found that projecting for expenses to me was easy because I saw the bills, right? Now we get into revenue and I'm like scratching my head. Okay, we have to look at 
factors, economics, because it was dealing with the state. So it was definitely a great experience for me because that's when also I learned more Excel skills because I had to, but also being able to build different scenarios, right? And sensitivity analysis and all these other things. So trying my, so it was first me understanding how to bridge and then hire people to come in. My first financial analyst, she's still there. La vida. And so trying to better understand, okay, this is what this person will do. This is how they're going to add value. How am I going to introduce them to all the other departments to start that business partnering relationship and get it going? It was very good, but yeah, learning on the go. That's all I can say. Yeah, no, it sounds like definitely a lot of learning on a go. You shared the example there with the CFO or like, how is this useful? Like, okay, well, I guess I have more work and more things to learn here. Speaking kind of that learning process, what advice would you offer to somebody who wants to make that switch? You know, they've done accounting, they've done that learning, and they want to make the switch to FP&A. Any advice you'd offer them? Oh, gosh, a lot. My first one is always to um, connect with people that are in those positions you want. Okay, so if you want to be a finance director, there is LinkedIn, which is great. But other, whether it's association events, conferences, things like that, connect with people that are in that environment, that are in that business and start understanding what is the work like? What does it mean to be an FPNA? So understanding from that perspective, I think helps. Plus, you get connections that can help you get a job. That's the other thing, too, in networking. Two, definitely looking to having a mentor, if you can, or a sponsor, and start where you are, okay? Because um, I started FPN. I didn't go to another job to start FPN. I started where I was. So if there is an FPN department in your current company, try to connect with them so you can start where you are and you'll be able to bridge the knowledge you already have in accounting with the finance. So definitely look for opportunities where you are. So if you're an accountant and you are dealing with fixed assets, for example, or prepaids, what kind of analysis can you do where you are now that can help decision makers dealing better with the kind of numbers you see? So really start where you are will be my third advice. So look for somebody in those desired roles, find a mentor sponsor and start where you are. But sometimes we think we have to have a certification or certain job or certain company to actually move into FPNA when really you can start where you are. I love that as starting where you are and I love the idea of network, find a mentor, and you'll start with the company you're at. Find ways. And you know, one of my favorite examples of that, I think it was episode five, we had a Cameron Janke on. And he talked about how their company didn't have FPNA. And he just out of curiosity started you know, kind of tearing apart the P&L and figuring out what the forward looking looked like. He was doing a lot of uh, some of the SEC stuff at the time he's gone public, I believe, or getting ready to. And what happened is people from accounting started referring people to the business to him to ask questions. Oh, Cameron would know that. Before you know, he was there. He built their FP&A function. And so he was, you know, VP of FP&A and grew his career. And he just, it was from initiative and wanting to know that it happened. And so I I think that that's a great point there. There's often more opportunity than you realize right where you're at. And it's figuring out how do you take advantage of it? Great, great point there. So I know during your career, it sounds like, you know, you've had a few different leadership roles. You've had the opportunity to oversee, you know, different functions, accounting, APAR, FP&A, kind of all the back office as well as FP&A of, you know, the accounting can you maybe talk a little bit about just your leadership style and working with these different groups and how you go about managing the teams? 
two things, transparency and positivity. So I like transparency. With me, honesty is the best policy. So I like to leave collaborative style. I like to include people. There is also a time for to be directive when that needs come, but definitely making sure that I'm transparent and because I want the team to be transparent. I don't like the defeated mentality of, oh, we cannot do this. No, we can't. We can't. No, no. Um, Not accepting new technology because that's something, that's a mindset I think as a profession we need to evolve from is embracing technology, embracing the fact that we have to be more involved with the business, that they have to understand what's going on with us. So definitely from that perspective, and with me, personal development is big, okay? I want to make sure the people that work with me are able to do their best. And I've coached and mentored, I've kept in touch with so many. One recently actually got a CPA license. She was my former accounting manager. So I coached her through the whole process. Okay, this is how you need to study. This is what books you need to read. And so to see her now, director of accounting is like such a joy for me. But it's understanding that beyond even the current duties of your team, that it can grow, not just within the organization, but just grow as human beings. I love how you said, you know, grow as human beings beyond the organization. Correct. We're managing people first, not roles, not jobs. Yes, those are all important. And of course, you have to take care of them. But people want to feel respected. They love when somebody's positive and when it's sincere positivity, right? There's times when it's positive, kind of that fake. And I really like, you know, two other things you said in there that really resonate with me is one, a kind of no attitude. Yeah. Like sometimes finance has a reputation. I've heard it, you know, referred to as CF no, right? Instead of CFO. No, you can't spend that money. No, you can't do this. Yeah. And we have times we have to say no. But you should also always follow that up with a why and an explanation. There needs to be that open dialogue. Just because we can't do something doesn't mean there isn't another solution we can come to where the positivity comes in. Mm -hmm. And the second thing I really appreciated that you said is technology. Because, you know, I've done a number of surveys on LinkedIn and most people say the reason they can't meet the business's needs is almost always technology. Yes. And I'm like, but how many of you don't even use a tenth of what you could do in Excel? Not even talking about new tools. And yes, we often need better technology, but I always like to think of it as more, you know, transformations, more about a mindset than what tools you're using. Not that you don't need good tools. I mean, obviously I talk about tools all the time, but you need a growth mindset. And so that's something I really appreciated there. Thank you. Because I think sometimes when a lot of um, of the tools are implemented, they're sometimes implemented in a way that's closed-minded. You can see it because it's hard to build upon it. It's hard. You're not even using the full capabilities that the tool have to offer. It's like you're paying for a Ferrari. You're still driving a 35 like a Honda. You're like, it's like, why are we doing this? <laughs> Yes, I've seen one where we were driving it like a Yugo, and they built it under the assumption that we should trust none of our employees. Wow. Someone told me that once, the person who was in charge of it at the time, they were no longer, they left the company pretty shortly after I got there. But, and I was just like, like, there were just things we were doing that were taking hours that I knew the tool could do in like two minutes. And it took forever that for them to get it open it up. And I'm like, why? Like, this makes no sense. You're making our job harder for no good reason. Yes. And so, yeah, you really, you really need to think about how do I make the lives easier of everybody when you're 
putting tools in place and how do we open it up and take advantage? And then also, what do you really need? How often do we need a Ferrari? Not very often. I'm sure plenty of us would like one. I mean, I'll take one if someone wants to give me one, but I don't need one. <laughs> you know, so. All righty. So when it comes to getting the most, you've talked a little bit about your leadership style, but as far as getting the most out of a team, you know, really helping someone achieve their best, are there any secrets or tips you'd offer there to really help someone to, you know, excel? I think it starts with care, genuine care. I've seen people step up and do things just because they knew I cared about them. Sometimes we use those words like, okay, you know, I love you. I love you, for example. And you're like, oh, okay, right. Is that really true? So I think it's not just in the words. You have to walk your talk. You have to, because people will see through it. We all adults. There's no kids. Like we, we have lives outside of work. So I think making sure that you actually care for your employees will make a big difference, I should say. So for me, start with caring. Once your team knows that you care, the way you approach um, project to them will be different. For example, I have a team member who, who said, I want to become a controller one day. Like, that's what I want to do. Knowing that, I will make sure that the project I assign to her will help her get to that level, mm-hmm. have that experience. So now I'm aligning a department goal with her personal goal then she's going to be more motivated because it's not just, you know, busy, you know, to keep herself busy, but it's something that's aligned with a personal goal and the goal of the, the, the department. So she's going to be more engaged. I don't have to come up with, you know, other tools or tricks or things like that. It's just the simple alignment between her personal goals and the department goals is really what's going to take her performance to the next level. Then you do it with the other team members and so on and so forth. Them understanding, okay, leadership is about collaboration. So I would like you to lead this project with this team and it will help you sharpen your skills and also help the department when you once we reach XYZ. So kind of aligning those two to me is very important. You know what it is like. 13 different spreadsheets emailed out to 23 different budget holders multiple iterations, version control, errors, back and forth updates. You never really feel in control of the consolidation and collection process. Yep, I've been there. Stop, breathe. DataRails is the financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users. DataRails takes data from all your company's disparate sources. No organization is too complex, consolidating everything into one place, secured in the cloud. Now all your data finally talking to each other. Everything is automated back into your report in Excel. Cash flow, FX conversion, intercompany transactions, now automated and up to date. Drill down and variance analysis in seconds. Don't replace Excel. Embrace Excel. Turn your Excel into a lean, mean FPNA machine. Find out more at www.datarails.com. I really like what you said there because so often managers look at kind of that development, annual reviews, periodic meetings. It's just a headache they have to do. I've been guilty of it where there's times, all right, I got to come up with some kind of something to put in this. But really, 
if you find out what they want to accomplish and you help make that part of the process, it becomes much more valuable to them because they're achieving their goal and you're achieving the company's goal if you're able to align those correctly. So I think making sure they know you care, but helping them accomplish their goals in any way you can. So I, I like that. Makes a lot of sense. So next question here, as you know, as a finance leader, obviously one of the most important things we have to have is good or and great relationships with the business. How how do you go about building a relationship with the business? What have you found, you know, helps you develop a good relationship so you can be that business partner, not just the person who sits in a spreadsheet all day, as much fun as they are. <laughs> yes. So back when it wasn't remote for me, it was going for lunch or having lunch with somebody. You're not an extrovert, are you? Yeah, I've been dealing with being shy for so long. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that strikes me as you, shy, yes. So for me, it was going out for lunch, um, you know, sitting in the cafeteria and going over, oh, what's your day like? Um, I was doing those things. I didn't know what business partnering was. So mind you, I was still in my accounting mode, but I didn't want, I didn't know that I was building my business partnering skills, by just liking to go to the Chinese buffet with people. So that was kind of the early stages of building relationship. To me, it start with, again, where you are and know that it's an exchange. It's a two-way street, right? Because I think sometimes we go at one way, like I want this from you. And we don't realize that, okay, what are they getting? Okay. So me understanding your budget, how you work better, we're going to get to a better budget. So making sure that you share also the context. And once, once whenever they're talking, understanding their language, like the, the actual words they use, because sometimes we say revenue, they say sales. Like we say customers, they say client. Like you, you have to speak the same language, understand the obstacles you know, and that's when you start really under, so not like, okay, you, you understand what I'm saying and we're going somewhere. We are building something here, you know, for the business. And I think that's what has helped me is having those conversations early on before budget times. Okay. I don't like sending meeting requests. Okay. Budget starts in September. I send it like August 15 to talk to the business partner. No, it has to be an ongoing relationship throughout the year. So you don't, you know, come out, okay, the budget season is over. There they are again. Yeah. So you're not, okay, it's September. Here comes finance. All right, let's see how quickly we can get rid of them. Now, yeah, here's the numbers you want. Okay, we'll see you next September. Now, obviously, that that doesn't help anyone. There are a couple of things you said there that I, I like. One, you know, making sure it's a fair exchange or it's a two-way exchange. Not necessarily fair, but that you're giving them value, not just taking from them. And I think that's so critical. And with that, I really liked how you said, make sure you're speaking the same language. When they say sales, they mean sales. When you say revenue, they often think you mean sales, right? Because there's a difference, especially in some businesses, sales can be very different from revenue. In some, they're virtually the same. And so it's you know making sure they understand how that impacts things, how the business thinks about it, and how do you bridge that gap so you can speak in their language? And so they get why it's important for them to understand some of those financial concepts and also for you to understand you know, where they're coming from. Because I've definitely had those where, you mean to tell me I got all this revenue, it's not going to help us this year? 
well, they're cells. And unfortunately, no. And here's why. It's like, well, why did you guys told me to, well, we did, but the way you structured this doesn't work. And here's why, or, you know, whatever the situation might be, but those type of things. So those are a couple of things I really, you know, that stuck out to me that you said there. And then the, the last one is just making sure it's a year round, that you're always working with them, that you're really a partner. The way I, way I look at it, when I know somebody's really succeed that, that you're really a finance business partner, is when that leader doesn't want to make any big decision without discussing it with finance. Yes. Yes. That's a big one. Yes, for sure. That's how you know that. Or when they say, oh, make sure so-and-so is CC'd on the email in case, you know, they may have something to say or what do they think? Let's run it by finance. It's real. That's really when you, you know that the relationship is working, where they want to include you. Exactly. Versus can we get this done without talking to finance? How's the, how do we do an end run? The threshold. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I could tell some stories about the threshold. We all could, I'm sure. But over the last year, you know, you haven't done it as much recently with starting a new job, but you started sharing your voice more on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Maybe could you share what prompted you to start doing that? And what have you learned from the experience? Oh, wow. So much. So I started out, so I took a personal branding course, I think August of 2020 during the pandemic, you know, we're home, half time. So I took this course and we're talking about, yes, you know, you have to build your personal brand and so on and so forth. That was 2020. I didn't start posting in 2021. And that was because I to feel I didn't know how to be confident sharing my voice. And then what's kind of pushed me is, um, you know, through my feed, I didn't see enough women or people of color. I was like, okay, there's nobody that look like me. That's talking about finance. I know there is a lot of me in finance. So maybe I'll talk to these people. And I decided to post from the perspective of the mentor I wish I had. Remember how I said a lot of things I learned as I went. And so I started posting the things that I wish somebody told me because I had to do a lot of research or learn the hard way. That's what prompted my post about the top accounting and finance certifications because I was clueless what I need to do. So somebody said to me, I was early 20s, do your CPA, bang, what's he is doing a CPA? Do your CMA, bang, what's he is doing that? Because <laughs> I didn't really have the framework. I was like, okay, let me let me try, why not? And so it's really from that perspective, especially around soft skills, because a lot of people said, like I have bosses who told me, I know you can do the work, but I hire you for your communication skills. So it wasn't Excel. It wasn't that I could do this function or whatever. It's how I was able to bring people together to get things done. So trying to share those type of things of, you know, I know you, you, you're spending a lot of time on this or that, but realize that um, business acumen, there's other skills beyond the traditional technical skills that you need if you want to attain certain roles in organizations. So it's really from that perspective that I started posting and I learned so much in the process. I learned and I met so many great people like you, <laughs> Nicola, uh, who speaks French and I speak French with him. So it's pretty cool. Sometimes we exchange messages in the chat in French and then we go start <laughs> commenting in English to the world. So it's just getting to know people from around the world. I've learned so much. Um, you helped me a lot understanding how LinkedIn works and things like that. So it's been a great side project for me. I just, a lot of people ask me, what are you selling? What are you doing? I'm like, I'm just hanging out, <laughs> like literally just hanging out. <laughs> 
years. So it's been a great experience. That's wonderful. I know we've talked a few times before and that's how you, know, you ended up being on the podcast. We've collaborated and it's been it's been fun to see. I love seeing new people come in and share. And that's fun that yeah, I get like Nikolai, I get talking uh, French with him and different things. I love that it shrinks the world, mm-hmm. right? You know, 50 years ago, you couldn't just easily ask a question of someone pretty much anywhere in the world. And now you really can. It's so much easier to go, oh, how are you dealing with this problem? Or what do you think about that? You know, I think that's one of the biggest challenges I've heard many people face in FP&A. And that's one of the reasons, one of the things we wanted to bring with FP&A today is to help discuss those type of challenges and the things and hopefully make the job a little easier for those that come behind us. Because like you said, I'm sure when you were trying to build out an FP&A function at Interlot, there are a lot of times that you, you know, you had a great CFO, but you would have loved to go to other people, be on LinkedIn and be like, how should I think about this? Any advice here? Yes. Oh, definitely. Like I would talk to somebody that's in India or in Dubai and like we, it looks like we work in the same building, like the things they're going through, the challenges with the team, it, it just feel like we're going through the same thing. So yeah, I do appreciate that we can be connected that way. Yeah. And when you said that going through the same thing, it's, it's why we can all relate to Dilbert. Right. Because we've been through the same things and his comics, you know, even though they're the extremes, you read them and go, yep, I remember that. That feels about right. <laughs> Have a lot of fun with that. So here's a question I want to ask you. I know you like to read. I can see books behind you there. So this doesn't have to necessarily be a finance book, but for our FPNA professionals out there, is there any book you would recommend they read, you know, that kind of would help them with their career and why? Okay. Finance related, I'll say, and numbers related, is called The Data Story by Nancy Duarte. Great book. She has great stuff. I've read that book, but I've read some of her stuff. She's great. And how she explained how technical people can kind of bring their message down or bring it differently to non-technical people and how they can make their presentations more effective. So I, it's my number one when it comes to storytelling, because I think it's very important for us finance and accounting today. Can't say enough about um, data stories. So great book, great book. I'm glad you, you know the work of Nancy as well. I'll say on the leadership side, I'm more into um, like unstuck and unstoppable for women in leadership because we do face different different things than males in leadership. So I really love that book by Janine Brown, Unstuck and Unstoppable. Um, leadership in general, I like the five dysfunctions of a team. So um, especially for those going from individual contributor to now managers, understanding what it takes. Um, because you go from individual contributor to manager, then to director, where you manage managers that have individual contributors. So that's definitely a great book. One that I'm reading too. So that's book number four. <laughs> the first 90 days, I love it. Like I, this is my second time going through it, but I think it takes you back to what it takes to start in a new role. Um, how do you learn? How do you establish yourself and building that foundation? And that's something I recommend to anyone in any type of transition, really, whether it's within the same company or from one level to the next is definitely some great things to do. Thank you. Yeah. And I've heard of a few of those the first 90 days, but there's something you said, and you know, I didn't have this in my list of questions, but I'm hoping you'll be okay with this. I know as a woman and a woman of color in leadership, you're a minority, right? It's not the majority in the business world. Can you maybe share 
how that's been and how, you know, what can society do better to help people that sometimes, you know, feel like this, they may be in a minority or not feel as comfortable in situations. I know you and I have talked a little bit about that and some of those challenges. So I'd love to just get your perspective of how, as a society, we can do better to support everybody, especially people that are on the outside sometimes as far as, you know, gender or race or whatever it might be. Yes, that has been something that's very personal to me. So I grew up in Ivory Coast on in West Africa. So I came to the U.S. when I was 17. So I like to say growing up, I was not a minority. <laughs> I was a majority. OK. And so coming here, I had to learn what it was to be a minority. And so I, my perspective of certain aspects are very different, right? Because I learned that here. And I think there is a lot of progress compared to when I came originally, but I will say there's a lot of progress. And here's why I say that is because I never had a, I never had a black boss. Like I never reported to somebody that was black. So the fact that I'm in this role means that other people saw me for what I could bring to the table and hired me. So that's where I see the progress because there is that willingness to um, look beyond what you look like to what you can actually bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And like we spoke before, it takes time. So me being in my role and having having in two different VP roles you know, tells me that there is progress, but it takes time, right? Sure. And so I think that there is already that awareness is getting traction. Yes, we're not seeing the numbers yet because I think there's only... 3% of people that are, 3% of CPAs are Black in the U.S. So I know the numbers are not there yet, but I think that there is progress that should be celebrated. And I think for these, the, the great bosses that took a chance of me, <laughs> me right? Um, I think it's about being understanding of the difference and showing up for support, not having preconceived ideas of what you may think my needs are, but just asking, ask, <laughs> is this okay? <laughs> How do you feel about this? And knowing that um, you may need to support others and say, I noticed that you didn't speak up in that meeting. Did you want to say something? Do you want me to create a space for you to speak at the end of the meeting? Or, you know, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable, but making sure that you hear their voices regularly. If somebody shuts down or is not speaking up, something is going on. I read this study, I think it was Harvard in Harvard Business Review, where they said that when a woman is in when women are in the room where they're in minority, so there's 10 people in the room, only three women, they are twice as less likely to speak up during that meeting, just because they're outnumbered. So it's that's why I said it's making sure that everyone got a chance to speak. And when they do, listen. Not listen to go, you know, deeper or whatever, but just listen for the sake of listening. I think a lot of progress will come if we will just listen. And that's what has helped me is having bosses that will listen. So when I say I struggle with this, or I need more help with that, that will just listen to listen, not to judge, to give advice before they even know what's going on. But just listening, I think is very important. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And you know, I'm grateful for the progress we've made in society and look forward just to continuing to progress because all we want is a chance for everybody to be successful. Diversity makes us all better. You know, having people of color, of different race, of different orientation, different backgrounds, 
all that diversity brought together so that we're thinking and acting differently so we can come up with the best solutions. Because the studies are clear that companies that are diverse perform better. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you look like your customer base sometimes. <laughs> it helps. <laughs> no, there's something to be said. I mean, we're a diverse society and we you, know, you want to try to reflect that as much as you can. So thank you for that. And thank you for the book recommendations. I'm going to ask you to email those to me so I can put them in the show notes. So everybody can, you know, look at those if they want. You know, we're coming up on the end of our time here. Just have kind of a couple more questions for you. And this is one we like to ask you know, a lot of our audience. You know, failure is something we all go through. It's just part of life. I like to look at it as it's a learning experience. So could you talk about a time you had a failure at work? And what did you learn from the experience? I will say, okay, so a company I worked for was going through a due diligence process. And we were probably going to be bought out. And uh, my boss came in and asked for some type of analysis. And I threw out a number and I would say it was out of being overconfident. Okay. <laughs> the number was wrong. Okay. Like millions wrong. So you can imagine how embarrassing it was for me, for my boss who took the, the hit. And it was a very ouch moment. So I like to, so from that, I created my own quote of don't let overconfidence destroy what confidence built. I love that quote. Thank you. Because sometimes we, yeah, we're like, oh, yeah, I got this. I can do this. It's like, no, you can't mm -mm. go check. So at the end of the day, we, it's, it's, it's a numbers work. So definitely double checking your work. Like you never get to a point where you're too high enough or you know too much to the point where you don't double check. So that was my ouch. No, it's, it's like the idea if you've ever done any woodworking, measure twice, cut once. Nice. <laughs> you know, so just, just go check. It's not generally only going to take a minute. I mean, there are times when you, you may be able to throw out the number, but as a general rule, it never hurts to say, hey, here's what I think it is. I'll verify that and get back to you. So that way, if you're off, instead of, oh, I know it's this. And then you go back and look and it's like, oh, snap. Nope. It was three times that. What was I thinking? Especially the higher the stakes, the more you want to make sure you're positive or you give yourself that, I'll go back and check. Not just be confident like, oh, I got this. I'm I'm good. Because we've all been there. And usually when you get overconfident, you end up, uh, yes, having that moment that we've all had. So Next question here. This is one we like to ask everybody. So what is something unique about you that you can share with our audience? Something we wouldn't find online. We know you speak French, so that's one from Ivory Coast, but what else? My two biggest weaknesses are Cheetos and chocolate. Is it Cheetos first or chocolate first? Chocolate. That's what I figured. I had to check. Chocolate. And I even have a joke that God made me chocolate for that reason. I'm born for chocolate. So when I see chocolate, I eat chocolate. <laughs> I keep telling myself, <laughs> I'm born for this. I love chocolate in every form possible, except with bacon. But yeah, except with bacon, is that what you said? Yes. They, they, I I went to a, a donut shop one day. They had a chocolate donut with bacon on it. I'm like, no, I like bacon and chocolate, but I like them separate. I would tend to agree with you. you uh, they make sense separate, not together. I'm not a chocolate person, but I would argue that, yeah, they don't go together. Thank you. That I can buy that. All right. So now everybody's favorite question. You know, this one is coming. I know you're excited to give me your answer. Favorite Excel formula feature function. It's the favorite thing about Excel. VLOOKUP. No, I had, that's what I was going to guess. Because 
graduating using Excel, I did not like you graduate from school and you're like clueless. That was me. <laughs> that was me. And I was spending hours, <laughs> hours going through one spreadsheet. And the senior accountant was like, oh, I see. Are you still working on it? I'm like, yes, it's taking time. He came over, saw what I was doing. It was like, oh, my goodness. You're going to spend the whole week on this if you're doing that way. And he came over. He did a little line with a GL code. And then he did a VLOOKUP. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> this is life. I felt so smart, so great. So since then, even though I use Pivot Table and other function, VLOOKUP is still, yeah, it's dear to my heart. It was that moment when you realized, I can have my life back. Yes. Yeah, it, re it reminds me of a quote I love that I saw on LinkedIn by Mark Proctor, who's going to be on a future episode here. He said, uh, you know, teach a man Excel and you give him a job for life. Teach someone how to automate in Excel and you give them a life. Oh, gosh. Yes. So well said. I need that. I hang it on the wall. This is so well said. And I just love that idea because there's a lot of truth to it. So definitely. So next question we like to ask here is what advice would you offer to someone who's starting their career today in FP&A? So they're just starting, you know, fresh out of college. They want to work in FP&A. If you could give them one piece of advice, what would it be? Take your time. It will be definitely pace yourself because I think we there is so much information out there. There is so much of what should you do, not do that he can get overwhelming. And, you know, I get a lot of people in my inbox, you know, what should I do here? What should I do there? And I'm like, take your time. You're on the right track. Like, I feel like you're trying to know everything in that first year in your role. But I think definitely pacing yourself first. Setting reasonable goals for your career, to me, is number one. I think that's some great advice there, pacing yourself. Avoid that burnout because it's easy to do. Yes. And then the last question we have before we let you go, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach out to you? Um, LinkedIn and email. <laughs> I figured you'd probably say LinkedIn. I know you are on there a fair amount and still post from time to time. So I just want to personally thank you for being on the show. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad we were able to make this work. I know we've had to reschedule a couple times. So thank you, Wasia, for being on the show. And thanks for carving out some time for us. Thanks, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it.